Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. All right, we got a great show for you here today. I'm interviewing the CEO, (laughs) before I go too far. I should clarify, the chief ethics officer of Airbnb. Uh, We actually talk about the three-letter acronym and how he doesn't get that and have a good laugh of that. The chief ethics officer of Airbnb, he's written a book. We don't have many authors on the show, but uh, this was worth it. It's called Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. And this is a phenomenal conversation because even though while we're talking about building up culture of integrity and you know what that even means and defining what is right and, and then how to build on top of that within a culture and how to get a CEO to buy in on something or why it's so important to get not just a CEO, but everybody within the organization to buy in on the culture you're establishing to set. Um, you know, what's one thing that came out of this was trust and how important that is. And I look at it from the marketing perspective of, you know, even just Airbnb, they had a tremendous challenge in front of them to get consumers to trust them on both sides of the deal. You know, I trust that this person I'm going to rent their house for is not weird. And the person who's renting out their house saying, I trust that this person I'm going to rent to isn't weird, you know, that, or, you know, whatever else comes from this. And Rob's got the career that you really need to listen to someone like this. You know, he got started as uh, a, a, a U.S. attorney. He was with eBay. He's worked with Skype, Upwork, Chegg, Uber, and then onto Airbnb. I mean, come on now. So I, I think you're going to get a lot out of this. We talk about the framework in the book called the Six C's, and I'm not going to give it away. Uh, about halfway through the episode, we get into that, and it's important to listen to. Uh, so anyway, I think you'll enjoy this one. Listen in. Well, hey, Rob, welcome to the show. Nate, thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad that we get to do this. It's once again, another late Friday night. I've got nothing else to do. We're going to be uh, having a little bit of fun here. I actually feel really good. Like w- you and I have, I feel like a really great, great chemistry right to, to start. So uh, excited for this conversation. It's going to be a different episode than my, my standard episode. So I, I'm very excited about that. You don't have a lot of chief ethics officers. I was looking <laughs> through the list and you, you haven't had too many of us on in the past. But. No, no, no. So, so yeah, before we get into that, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, so my name is Rob Chestnut and I am the chief ethics officer at Airbnb. So you're probably the one C-level executive who doesn't get the benefit of a three-letter title. Right. That's, uh, it's the pride. <laughs> I wanted to go with, with chief integrity officer, but the chief information officer didn't like it either. So, you know, you're just kind of stuck. Everybody's got to spell it out. That's fine. I, I was the general counsel at Airbnb for a number of years before I, I moved over to do ethics. Um, so I don't, but I don't worry about titles that much. Yeah, it's got to be like the like ultimate uh, a test of like someone's like ego that hey you're going to be C level but um, you don't get a three letter title you don't get the three letter title it's a total it's the final uh, ego test of can you That's handle it. this role well but right. for, if you care if you care about integrity then it shouldn't matter right <laughs> there we go all right so first obvious question 
what is a chief ethics officer? So a chief ethics officer is responsible for driving integrity into the culture of a company. Um, what sort of things uh, can the company do to ensure that we treat each other with integrity and treat each other ethically inside the company. And then you can look outward from there and talk about how the company uh, interacts with other stakeholders, like their customers in the world. All right. Why does a company, uh, so many companies have stated values, like they'll have core values or they have a mission statement, vision statement and things we believe. If you have those things, why do you then need an ethics officer. Can't the CEO or someone else just do the same, like just drive home the message, what's already been written down? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think that for decades, um, there have been uh, these sorts of things, values, codes of ethics, you know, nice posters on the wall that have integrity and a, and a pretty sunset in the background. Um, the problem is nobody ever talks about what it means. Um, mm. You know, the word, you know, you, you, what you find is that the code of ethics is actually something that the law firm sends over to you when you go public <laughs> and you put your logo on top of it. You email it out to everybody. You say, check the box saying you've read this code, right? And you're going to mm -hmm. live by it. And then nobody ever references it again. Um, or there's a compliance poster on the break room wall right next to the pipes where it's kind of dark and it's got that little four point font and nobody reads those posters. Um, then you've got those sexual harassment videos, right? Those two hour harassment videos that everybody has to watch and everybody complains about some third party produces it and everybody just complains about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the problem with all those things is that they are about compliance. That is, some lawyer is requiring you somewhere to do it and everybody knows it. And you're not really reaching people's heart. You're not really reaching people and getting them to think, wow, this company really cares about doing the right thing. So you need a role like this, um, particularly as a company gets larger. Um, you need it to be a leadership role and it needs to be a spokesperson to constantly have that drumbeat of reminding people of why it's so important to do the right thing. Hmm. And I suppose then even, and thank you for that detailed answer. Um, that's even like, I mean, we could go like as deep as you wanted into this, like what is the right thing? Who defines right. what the right thing, you know, sure. is. Um, I mean, really, I, I haven't done much study on company culture uh, and really what it means to have values and how you, stamp right. those but i mean you have to have a starting point somewhere to you build do. up from yep. yeah and we you know what we could talk about plato and john stewart mill and the like but you'd probably lose your podcast audience <laughs> but, but where i'd like to go with this sort of thing is you you have to start with what your company's what's your company's about what are your company's values what what's your culture because different companies can have different values mm -hmm. and different standards for its code. You know, look, a, a code of ethics is not something that is off the shelf that every company um, can just take and apply. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Walmart has a rule, has rule around how much, what can, what can their employees accept from third party vendors as gifts? You know, you've always got vendors that are coming to give you T-shirts and hats mm -hmm. or take you to dinner or buy you coffee or take you to a ball game. What can you accept? So Walmart has a rule, and their rule is our employees can accept nothing. 
And when I mean nothing, I've been at a meeting with Walmart employees. When you give them a bottle of water, they pull a dollar out of their pocket. It's that serious. No way. Yeah. And why? And it comes from Walmart's purpose. Walmart exists for low prices every day to their customers. Mm-hmm. And Walmart believes that if their employees are getting gifts, that ultimately the cost of those gifts is reflected in the cost of goods. And that drives the price up for their customers. So Walmart mm-hmm. doesn't want that. So Walmart says, I don't want you to accept anything. And they don't. Um, let's compare that to Airbnb. Airbnb is in the hospitality business. It's about mm-hmm. have, letting people connect um, and enjoy each other's company and learn about each other. And in order to do that, you need a little more flexibility. So mm-hmm. Airbnb's rule is you can accept an ordinary business courtesy, a cup of coffee, lunch, dinner, maybe even you can go to a ball game with a vendor. And we put a limit of $200 as a general rule of thumb because you shouldn't be accepting gifts so large that it would impair your judgment or cause a potential conflict of interest. You know, if, if I've got a vendor who's um, giving me uh, Warriors basketball tickets every week, well, you know, then when it comes time for the, uh, that vendor's contract, I'm going to be biased, right? Because I want those Warriors tickets. Totally. To so you can't do that sort of thing. Yeah. So you need a rule, but every company needs to handle it in their own unique way. Mm. Yeah, and it makes a total sense. I love how even like you're talking from like internal purpose of the company all the way down to that. I mean, that's a very yeah. tangible example. I've never thought about that when I do like corporate gifts, when I send people thank yous or like nice little things in the mail. Like I always, I'm always concerned, like, is this enough? Because I, <laughs> I appreciate whatever they did, you know, a favor or so. And I want to make sure they know it, but I also want to be you know, appropriate. You want, to be appropriate. you want to be appropriate about it. And you never know what happens to that gift. So at some no. companies, for example, if you give, uh, send somebody a big, beautiful fruit basket, um, yep. under the company rules, they might just be required to put that gift basket out in the common break area and share it with everybody mm. so that mm-hmm. they aren't getting something themselves that's too much of a benefit. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's yeah. the right way to handle these sorts of things. Yeah. Share it with everybody. That's, I think I was up. Okay. So, I don't want to. I don't want to detract too much of your history. I want to keep moving forward. But, but really, really quick, how do you, how do you become a chief ethics officer? <laughs> well, yeah, when I was when I was growing up, it wasn't something that anybody aspired to because the job didn't even exist. And even today, it's something that's relatively, um, relatively new. Uh, Salesforce, for example, has had a chief ethics officer for about the last year or two, and other companies are starting. Um, you know, my career began as a lawyer. Uh, I uh, started out as a federal prosecutor, which when mm-hmm. you think about it, kind of makes sense, right? You're, uh, as a federal prosecutor, you're responsible for upholding the law. Um, I did that for, gosh, about a dozen years. Um, from there, I went to eBay. And at eBay, I was uh, one of eBay's early employees, and I was the guy that set up all the rules around what you can buy and sell on eBay. Mm. So can you sell concert tickets? Can you sell wine and cigarettes? Can you sell um, uh, items that are made from endangered species? There's literally no end to the things that you should probably not be able to sell. There's a huge list, but somebody had to start somewhere. And, you know, the CEO looked at me and said, Rob, we have good business. We don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to go to jail. And we want to do the right thing. Um, You are in charge of figuring out the right thing. (laughs) <laughs> tell us, tell me what we can sell and what we can't sell. And we had, you know, the most fascinating issues with people trying to sell breast milk. 
um, someone trying to sell a kidney. Um, I remember that. That yeah, made the news. That made the news. Sure. We were at that time, eBay was the darling of e-commerce and uh, eBay was always in the news for yep. the, the strangest item that, that would appear on there. Well, I was on the other end with a small <laughs> team of people that had to figure out, well, okay, should we allow that or not? We had someone who uh, apparently got uh, uh, took communion with the Pope and instead of chewing the wafer, actually kept the wafer, which apparently oh you're gosh. not supposed to do, and they put it on eBay. And that led to an outcry from the Catholic Church that we were selling the body of Christ, literally. And so they looked at <laughs> us to take down the wafer. Now, ordinarily, a wafer wouldn't have violated our rules, but how do you address a problem like that? How can so, you even prove it's the right wafer? How do you know, right? So um, I guess the point is throughout my career, um, for some strange reason, it's followed me. This idea of uh, understanding rules and upholding them. Um, so I think from that uh, sort of came the being a general counsel and now ultimately being a chief ethics officer. Yeah, I mean, you've had a decorated career. eBay, uh, you know, Skype, right? No, live well, we, ops, sorry. We yeah. purchased Skype while I was there, but live ops, Chegg, you know, if you've got a college Chegg. audience, they all know, they, they all know Chegg. Uh, is the online um, learning company. You know, working as an advisory board with Upwork. And then this is, you know, to uh, advisory with Uber. And then yep. that's kind of all that has culminated leading you is probably someone that Airbnb went after. I'm assuming yep. they found you and said, we they found me. They team. found me. And you know, they realized that a lot of the, uh, the issues, legal and ethical, that eBay faced, um, they faced them too because they had a you know a two-sided marketplace where they controlled the platform. You had you know eBay had buyers and sellers. Airbnb has host and guest, but you know they they wanted somebody that was familiar with working in that kind of environment. So, so I need to know it, during um, the oh, wait. This might have been before your time. It might not have been. I think it was Snowpocalypse. It was one of the Snowpocalypse in New York. <laughs> somebody built in uh, a little igloo. Is that? Are you the guy who makes the rules that says an igloo does not is not a suitable? That must have been before my time. They they oh. must have resolved that one long ago. <laughs> that's tough. That's that's tough because Airbnb's got some really interesting, unique places to stay. Yeah, um, and the fact that's what makes it special, right? You know, you you don't want a plain hotel room. You want something different. You want a different environment. And that's uh, in many ways that was eBay, right? eBay one it was a place where you could go to find things that weren't on the shelves at your local Target. Um, that but. Yeah, that's what makes it fun. That's a special skill to be able to, you know, maintain a center uh, point of focus when considering fringe cases. I mean, because what you're talking about, there's no end to the fringe cases. There's no end. And, and you, have to t you have to, there's a balance, right? Well, you, yeah. you need to follow the law. So if the fringe case violates the law, that makes it easy. You're not going to do it. Um, is it. If it's controversial, You've got to understand, is it a, how does it reflect on your brand? Because mm -hmm. um, you can't uh, completely back away from responsibility. If it's on your website, um, you, you need to take responsibility for it. So, you know, at eBay, for example, we banned the sale of Nazi memorabilia simply mm -hmm. because we saw that people were using it. Uh, white supremacists, for example, were using the website right. to trade in that thing. And, you know, on the one hand, you could say, well, freedom of speech. Uh, people, ought to, we're just a neutral platform. But, you know, ultimately, 
what's on your platform uh, is a reflection of what you are as a company. Yeah. So we had to make some decisions uh, at eBay about those sorts of things. And mm-hmm. look, we had to make, it's uh, funny, we had to make a very similar decision at Airbnb when we learned that white supremacists were using the Airbnb as a place to stay and a place to meet when they went to rallies like Charlottesville. Wow. So we had to uh, think about it, look into it. And then we made the decision that, Um, You know what? That was so contrary to our values as a company that we were, we wouldn't allow it. So we did a little research to find out who the white supremacist leaders were and we banned them from Airbnb. Oh, I love, I actually, I really do love that. And I'm all about free market. You should be able to buy whatever you want from whoever you want. And, you know, you should be able to sell to whoever you want. And, and I think being able to take a stand and do that. And there's, there's something that you said, you know, about freedom of speech that in um, this has come up in a few different discussions I've had about with apartment buildings. So um, especially during like political elections time. So I want to put my candidate up in the window. Okay. That's my choice. Okay. I don't own the building. I'm just the, I rent the apartment. And by me doing that, almost like, you know, the apartment building has to decide prior to that or be faced with the decision at the moment. Do they want to exercise the right of no speech or would they allow all speech? I mean, cause it's in between there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. But we need organizations to think in advance as much as possible and mm -hmm. anticipate issues like that so that everybody's operating on the same, on the same page um, these are tougher decisions to make um, in the moment when you're yeah. faced with a controversial, right? A controversial topic. Yeah. Um, much easier when you've got the rule up front. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I was in uh, Trader Joe's last week. Love Trader yes. Joe's. You love Trader Joe's, right? Oh, the dried mango. Oh my gosh. Oh, the dried mango is fabulous. Isn't it? <laughs> it's so oh, good. I, I, I I was in, and one of the things I made a note to look for when I was in Trader Joe's was hand sanitizer. Because I don't know what it's like in Chicago, but in the Bay Area, you can't find hand sanitizer. Sold out. Sold out everywhere, right? So I'm in Trader Joe's. I've got my dried mango in the basket. I walk by an employee who's got this pallet he's unloading. And I said to him, hey, you guys have any hand sanitizer? Thinking, you know, the answer is going to be no, because nobody's got it, right? He looks at me, pauses, and said, we just got a shipment in the back. I'll be right back. He goes off, comes back. He's got a box, 48 two-ounce spray containers of hand sanitizer, right? (laughs) Opens up the box, puts it on the ground in front of me. Store's closing in five minutes. He looks at me. He knows what I'm thinking. I know what he's thinking. He walks away. What do you do? How many hand sanitizers do you buy (laughs) Right? Do you buy one because you're one person and that's and you should leave it for 47 others? Do you buy two because they're small bottles and do you buy two for every member of your family? Do you buy a couple for your neighbor? Or do you buy all 48 and use it to barter for toilet paper because some other idiots have already bought up all the toilet paper and you don't have any? Right? And I think the answer is there is no right ethical answer. How many um, do you buy? Um, I personally bought two for myself and two for each one of my kids. Boom, that was that it. Okay. But, you know, but any one of these, look, I know I talked to somebody who looked at me and said, I would have bought the whole box and then taken them to a retirement home because they need it more than I do. Fabulous ethical answer. Yeah, it's great. Um, but what we really needed was Trader Joe's 
to put up a little sign and say, limit to per customer because there's a shortage right now. And if, mm. the, if you've got a, an authority um, that makes that decision, then we, then we aren't put in the position where we've got to make these ethical decisions because we're all biased, Nate. We are yeah. all, all going to look at each individual situation like this, yep. and we're going to rationalize our behavior because our vision of the situation is colored by our own needs. Yeah. Uh, in sales, we call that price anchoring. I don't know what we call that in <laughs> ethics. Maybe ethics anchoring? <laughs> or, yeah, I, well, it's anti-price gouging. <laughs> I saw that guy do it, so yeah. it's okay I do it. That's right. You know, we're anchoring our behavior on precedents set before us. Well, that's the thing, and that's why um, we'll go back to something we, we started with at the very beginning of the conversation. Um, everybody wants to feel good about themselves, um, and everyone's behavior um, is actually going to be influenced by what they think others are doing around them. Um, mm -hmm. So this is why leadership is so important. Um, you can be a chief ethics officer at a company and you can go out and talk all you want about ethics and integrity. But if your CEO is not bought in and the rest of the leadership's not bought in, you're wasting your time. In fact, you just look like a big hypocrite, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody knows um, that what you're talking about, you know whether the rest of the company, they know whether the rest of the company's bought in on it. So if the leaders are bought in and they are acting with integrity, that yep. will influence everyone in the company because they're going to know what the standard is. And yep. if the leaders aren't doing it right, then everybody's going to say, oh, you know what? If that's how the people who are getting ahead act, then it's okay for me to do the same. Totally. That's I, why I say integrity is actually contagious. Even in, in the times of pandemics, uh, integrity as, is as contagious as the virus because, and a lack of it is as well. I love it. And this is a perfect segue. I don't oh, know if it's you would think we planned this. We planned this. <laughs> How do we get your whole company centered on even discussing this? All right, this is where I actually just take on the promo hat. And Rob didn't ask me to promo his book, but we're going to talk book? about your. We're going to talk about your book. Funny you should mention it, Nate. So um, Rob is literally there. It is. Wait, hold on. Wait, can you, you there see? it is. And you've got your copy, and I've got my copy. Got That's my awesome. Copy. Here we go. So uh, Rob has written the book. Uh, it's titled Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. This is his first book. Comes out in June. And what, I mean, really, and I didn't want to lead with the book. What I wanted to lead with, because I had a feeling this was going to happen. You've got so much, there's so much packed inside of you. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you have poured it out onto these pages. Because I think there's a lot that what people are going to take away from this, it's kind of like one of those things that you know who Seth Godin is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Seth Godin's got this thing where he says, like, never not buy a book because of its price. You have to think about the value <laughs> of what has been put. I mean, all the hours and experience and time, and then distilling that into something that anyone could digest. So uh, I think it's it's brilliant. Why did you take the time to write the book? Because right. here you are. We've already talked about your, de your decorated career. I mean, you've, you've been with some of the biggest and most, you know, really widely respected companies. Um, why, why write a book? I, I know lots of authors. I've worked with authors and they tell me it's one of the most taxing, yeah. like mentally taxing tasks to take on. Why, why even bother doing it? Um, I had never thought about writing a book before, but at Airbnb, you know, I, I started grappling with the problem of how do you drive integrity into the culture of a company? 
And we put a lot of thought into it and developed a program at Airbnb. And the thing that stunned me was people actually liked it. People in the company embraced it. Uh, people would come up to me uh, after company meetings on this, um, sometimes even literally with tears in their eyes and saying, you know, Rom, you have no idea what it means to me to work for a company that genuinely cares about this. I have never seen these sorts of things before or heard wow. of these things before. And it struck me that um, I think that companies have enormous potential to have a positive impact on the world. You know, we need companies, frankly, to solve a lot of the big problems that the world faces today. And what's holding a lot of companies back is uh, a lack of trust. Employees don't trust, customers don't trust, communities don't trust. Mm -hmm. um, and studies also show that if you wanna build trust, act with integrity. Um, and I, the reason I wrote the book was to encourage companies to take on integrity as an intentional part of their strategy. Um, because studies also show that companies that um, are perceived to have integrity actually outperform, outperform the market. They outperform their peers. They'll huh. actually do better financially um, because today's consumer actually wants to do business with companies that have values that are aligned with their own. Um, employees want to buy into the mission of a company that they mm -hmm. believe in. Yep. So, this is a win for companies, um, and I think it will empower companies to do the right thing and have a positive impact on the world. So I thought, you know what? If I could influence a few companies to, to behave uh, in, in a way that, that thinks about doing the right thing, uh, it's a worthwhile exercise. Who, okay, uh, th that's wonderful, thank you. Um, and I, for me, the, the, the next question is then, who needs to read this? Because, um, I, I look at it a handful of ways. Like you could look at it as like, okay, every CEO needs to read this and they need to push this culture throughout their company. Yeah. You could also look at it the other way of saying, well, you know, the king can be saying whatever they want left and right, but it doesn't matter until everyone else buys into it. So we need to get everybody on the sales floor reading this to convince, you know, we're going to take the Slack model. Right. Yeah. <laughs> get, get everyone on the sales team using Slack and force the manager to purchase it. Right. So which, yeah. which, who should um, be reading the, it? The, well, the, the principle, first of all, the principles work. It's a very practical book. So this is, people are, uh, people tell me how surprised they are when they read it because they, they think, uh oh, it's a lawyer writing about ethics. <laughs> uh, but it, but it, it, the, the book is intentionally, uh, it's got lots of examples. Um, it has lots of stories. Uh, and it, it is a very practical guide that works for companies of all sizes. Yeah. Um, it is uh, designed to influence leaders, uh, particularly CEOs, uh, HR professionals, and lawyers are the ones that can, can make it happen directly. Yeah. But the great thing about it is if you manage anybody, if you are a people manager, um, I hope that the book will inspire you um, and get you really thinking about how you act. I think it can make you a better manager. Love it. Um, and so uh, obviously we should, let's, let's dive in a little bit. So there was one, you know, I mean, there's a whole, oh, well, there's like 200 some pages. So there's lots of things we could go into, but, um, I thought the, the six C's, yeah, you have a section in, in here called the six C's. We talked a little bit before the show. This is something that you developed while at Airbnb, but really it was kind of a, a culmination of your years. Uh, in your experience, I'll read off the six and, and maybe you can give a little bit of a background as to some of the meaning behind them. And then also like, why did you come up with this framework? Because 
you know, again, you know, frameworks don't exist for the sake of it. They typically are designed to solve problems. Right. Uh, so, you know, they are chief, customized yep. code of ethics, communicating the code, clear reporting system, consequences, constant. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about the first one already, chief. That is, um, if you don't have buy-in at the top of your company, then you're not going to get very far. Um, so Airbnb, for example, um, I started by going to the founder, Brian Chesky, uh, and, and had a talk with Brian about it because um, I knew he would be receptive to this. And, and in a typical Brian fashion, Brian looked at me and said, go big. Um, mm. So having that sort of permission and knowing that I had the backing of the founders uh, meant a ton. But it also meant that any rule that we created had to be something that the entire executive team bought into. Because I you're better off having no rule than a rule that some people feel free to break. Uh, and uh, here's an example. Um, sexual harassment um, and the Me Too movement um, played a role, I think, in inspiring me to do the book and, and to, to do a lot of this work. So I went to the executive team and said, look, um, some companies uh, have rules that basically say, um, you, know, be, you know, be careful um, when you're dating at the office because it can create issues. And they mm -hmm. leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Other companies say, well, you cannot date anyone on your team if you're a manager, but otherwise it's wide open. Um, mm -hmm. But one thing I saw a lot of, that was happening in a lot of companies was that leaders at companies were getting in trouble because they were engaging in romantic relationships, particularly with people who are at a much level, lower level than they are. Mm -hmm. That power imbalance was actually creating a lot of problems. It was making people uncomfortable when they're asked out. Um, and it was making the breakups extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. So I went to the executive team and said, look, there are a dozen of us in the room. I propose, why don't the, the 12 of us just agree that we will not engage in any romantic relationship with any employee or vendor? And there was silence in the room for a minute. Um, and one person said, yeah, Rob, that, um, you know, all of us are married or in relationships anyway, so this shouldn't be a big deal. And I said, well, based on what I'm reading in the paper, um, being married doesn't stop anybody. <laughs> right? Um, so I said, what do you think, folks? And one by one, we went around the room. We all looked each other in the eye, and we committed. That's what we were going to do. And then we put it in our code, and then we actually told the employees that that's what we had committed so by making an intentional decision that we- So this is all levels, all levels, no, not just- only, No, this is the leadership said. We're oh, not going to have any romantic relationship yeah. with anyone in the company that only applied to the executive team. But the executive team set a powerful tone. We are not going to go there because we recognize the potential for problems if leadership at the top of a company is simultaneously messing around and having relationships with other employees. That's so brilliant because that can trickle down anyway. That can already stifle or if someone yeah. felt like they were tripping up, they might be like, well, I don't know. Like they have this rule with the executive team. Yeah, maybe I should think twice about it. Right. Um, we also made it very clear that if you are a manager, you cannot have a relationship with anyone on your team. Mm -hmm. The rest of the company, we said, if you're not a manager or you're not on the executive team, um, you're free to engage in relationships, but be very careful. And we also, had an, we also implemented an ask out once rule for everybody. So the rule is very simple at Airbnb. You can ask somebody out once. If they say yes, great. If they say no, you drop it. 
And that prevents a situation where someone is bugging another employee and pushing them to go out on a date and making them feel uncomfortable. So anyway, that's an example of C for chief, which is get the leadership, get the CEO of the company bought in first. Um, the, the, the next C is a customized code of conduct. And what that means, which we talked about a little bit earlier as well, is don't get something off the shelf that you yep. didn't have everybody check a box. Yep. Um, you actually need to get input from a lot of different people. What you don't want is you don't want somebody like me um, sitting down and writing rules that everybody has to follow. <laughs> Who am I? I mean, seriously, I, I don't know any better than anyone else. I have my own perspective. I have my own upbringing, my own social background, and my own uh, I was brought up in, in Virginia. Um, we got employees all over the globe. So what Rob thinks is ethical as mm -hmm. a lawyer might be very different from what a salesperson in Asia thinks or what an engineer in uh, South America thinks. So we built a coded Airbnb that is in our language, using our purpose, our values. Mm. And we used it with input from a variety of people, a diverse group all around the company. So that when it was done, we had something that I think was pretty well thought out from a lot of different perspectives mm -hmm. and also something that started with broad buy-in from a lot of different places in the company. I, I love that. And obviously, I mean, uh, I think we'll save the, you know, going through all of them. I don't want to make you have to go through examples of them, but I mean, yeah, somebody's, clear, you got to buy the book. We don't want to yeah. give it all away, right? Yeah. Buy the book guys. I mean, I, I don't know what it would probably cost to buy an hour with Rob, but the book's going to cost you less. It's going to be easier. You know, a, a lawyer costs you like 800, a thousand bucks an hour. <laughs> and I can tell you the book's a lot cheaper than that, particularly if you get the audio books. You know, I gotta, I gotta share this. Uh, one of the funniest tweets I read today, Franco Ferrardo, who runs the website PropMoto, I think he tweeted something. He goes, that moment when a, a lawyer who you pay $500 to answer a question responds with, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty rare question, I would think. <laughs> I don't know who he's been talking to. Uh, Franco, if you're listening, I hope you're doing well. So um, I just wanted to share. I don't know why that had to come up. <laughs> this is what I, I was telling you before. We're going to have fun. This is yeah, going to no. be... Uh, sorry. And by, the way, by the way, you got to have fun. And that's part of ethics. You know, it, it, people don't think of ethics as a funny topic. Um, but one thing we did at Airbnb that, that people really caught into and loved was we started doing our own ethics videos. Because like I, I, I saw these things that third party companies were doing <laughs> and, uh, and people were just pained in watching them. So I, I learned from my kids. Are they my online? Kids, Can anybody my, find them? My, um, you know what? They are not online, but I'm going to be out talking about the book um, later this summer, and we'll be showing some of the videos at conferences. We do three-minute funny videos about different ethical scenarios, and employees in the company voluntarily, believe it or not, watch these videos. Yeah, I made the rule <laughs> that I had to make a video that somebody wanted to watch, so no one was forced to watch. I love it. And right now, we have between one and 2,000 people every month watching an ethics video voluntarily, which I think is pretty good. I, I love that. I, you know, in, in uh, one of my rules in marketing is that uh, I don't like to, I don't like to send excessive amounts of email. And so sometimes, you know, things will happen in the news or these trends and suddenly all companies be sending the same email. And of course, invariably I'll get asked, Hey, are we going to send an email? I've been seeing everyone else sending their emails and I'm asking, how do you feel about that? Do you miss not getting one of those from every other company you've ever not. bought? No, I don't. 
I don't same miss thing that. over and over again. Well, you if I don't feel like it's not obligatory. If I don't miss it, it wasn't good enough. And that's right. how I want customers to feel about it. You know, at the same time, like if we don't send that thing that we're going to send, they're going to be missing something that's worthwhile sending everything that's else. Right. I couldn't, you know, the advantages with ethics, the bar is often pretty low expectations for a, 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 a talk on ethics. Um, People come in with low expectations. So if you actually do something that's funny, um, that's engaging, uh, people actually walk away inspired and feeling like they've enjoyed the process. So uh, I encourage companies to, to think about what sort of content they're putting out to mm. employees. Is it human? Is it authentic? Is it engaging? All right. So for every, every founder, uh, executive, even investors who are listening to the show, uh, some of them are thinking right now, okay, Nate, cool, Rob, cool, you know, our company, we don't have problems. You know, we're pretty good. We're pretty set. All right. And I'm going to keep going here. So you have a chapter called Check the Canaries, which there's a, there's a really little yellow book, uh, Canary in the Cold Mine, Coal Mine, that I read a few years ago. That's kind of always stuck with me. I love the idea of a canary. I think I learned that too late in life. And because of that, it like really sticks with me because it was such like a, a mind bender. But um, part of this chapter, you, you talk about a website, Blind, Glassdoor, you know, basically these are sites that give employees the platform to vent, review, say good things, say negative things, whatever have you. Uh, and, and, and you mentioned how you, you, you know, as what mid July, 2019. So last year, about a year ago, half a year ago, something like that. Uh, you're, you're reading a review from a, an employee of a company and it says, you know, I'm in the process of leaving my current company due to some major issues with the director level staff, super shady retribution type termination of my mentor and a well-respected senior team member. You, that person goes on in the review to say, has anyone had a company actually take action due to ethics violation reports or did it just further contribute to the animosity and bad blood. And, and your response to this in, in reading that, that sentence there of has anyone actually had a company um, you know, take action was corporate America, we have a problem. Yeah. How come people don't know? Yeah. Um, I think what happens with a lot of leaders is that they look at sites like Blind and Glassdoor and they say, oh yeah, those are just the complainers. A lot of negativity there. And they don't pay attention to it. I look at those sites as, look, people, people need to be able to talk about issues in the workplace. And if employees are on those sites talking bad, that means that you are not providing that sort of environment at your own company. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to listen. Um, I, I've definitely talked to people who said, well, Rob, we don't have any problems because we don't have any hotline reports to our uh, um, uh, uh, the hotline with problems. And I said, oh, I think you got a problem all right because what you're in, but your problem may be different than what you think it is. Your mm. problem is that people are afraid and they don't trust the process. So they're not telling you. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got them. So if you aren't hearing any, um, the chances are you aren't creating the, the kind of environment where people are comfortable speaking up. I think that's, that's some excellent feedback. So for those who've never heard anything going wrong in their company, might want to start asking some questions. Like, <laughs> right, because when things do go wrong, look, in the old days, Nate, when, when there was a problem, it would get swept under the rug. 
mm. right? CEOs messing around, doing some things that are wrong. Accounting's doing some funky things. That was the Wolf um, of Wall Street. That was the old days, yeah. right? But guess what? Um, the internet happened. And now everybody, all of your employees have a potential platform where they can go out and tell the world about what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, like uh, Susan Fowler at Uber, right? Susan Fowler's blog post about the sexual harassment that was going on at Uber single-handedly took that brand down and, yeah. and took out, it ultimately took out the founder leader of the company. Um, so you have to understand that if employees don't feel comfortable talking about it through the regular channel, ultimately somebody's going to find an alternate channel and when they do, it may change the course of your entire company. And you know, I'll touch on Uber for a hot second because when all that was happening, uh, I was, I think I might've been a realtor at that time. I was still a relatively new realtor and I, I had shifted. I went from doing digital marketing, follow my pursuit of real estate. And I just totally started from the bottom, went to zero, literally. That's yeah. both in revenue and position. <laughs> and <laughs> I was driving, uh, on the weekends, Friday and Saturday nights. And yeah, I was doing Uber and I felt wow. incredibly uncomfortable. Here I was just a contractor. I had no real connection to the company. But when I started hearing that, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. Cause and it's I, your brand too, right? Well, yeah. You, you've got the, 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 the black sticker with the U on your car. Well, people I didn't want to put it on my car. So people always knew I drove. You I just kind of, I threw it up on the dash and then hit it. <laughs> I didn't want my real estate clients to know I was driving Uber on the weekends. You know, but it's your brand. When yeah, you're sure. sitting in that car and you're, you're on that platform, it's your brand. And you don't want to be associated with a company that's doing things you're not proud of. And by the way, yeah. that's, what, that's the way your employees feel at your company yeah, as well. Totally. Uh, Rob, we're going to keep transitioning here to my favorite segment. This is going to be tough. This is going to be totally different. Uh -oh. We're going to wing it as we go. Uh, we're moving on to the for the future. For this future is a segment where I get to ask each guest who comes in the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Rob, are you ready to play? Uh, I'm ready. They okay, didn't cool. warn me about My publicist didn't warn me about this, but we'll try. <laughs> I don't tell them. Uh, <laughs> that was all good. Okay, question number one. And these are all going to be a little bit different than our normal run-of-the-mill standards, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work our way through this. And like okay. I told you before the show, I don't have anyone to answer, so we can That's just – we'll cut whatever we want. All right, question number one. What does the culture Airbnb look like one year from now? Yeah, you know what? Airbnb um, – right now is going through a very challenging time. Uh, you know, the, the travel market uh, is being hit hard. Short-term rentals are being hit so hard. Um, and Airbnb, I think, is, uh, is working through its responses to this. Um, it's recognizing that there are opportunities in crisis. You know, Brian loves to say that uh, don't never waste a good crisis. Um, and, he, and we're looking at ways to pivot and respond. Um, I think for Airbnb, um, you know, culturally, the company will come through this a year from now stronger and more inspired because, uh, you know, in times like this, the company, I think, stands up and does mm -hmm. things for the world and for the communities. Like Airbnb now is working to connect people who are working in, in the health field uh, with, free, with free places to stay. 
at mm-hmm. Airbnbs nearby. Um, Airbnb employees are donating their travel credits to hosts who've been negatively impacted. So I, oh, I wow. think crisis can actually bring people together, and I think it will uh, ultimately have a positive impact on the company. Yeah, it's amazing. I now look out my window of my apartment building, and I see kids playing outside with a kickball. I literally wow. have never seen that since we moved here. <laughs> wow. <that's, laughs> the world's changing. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Um, we're, we're talking, you know, culture. We're talking ethics. Uh, we're going to work in a prop tech question here. What is, what is the culture of prop tech as an industry? How will people describe it a year from now? Um, the, world, uh, the world of prop tech, I think, has been significantly impacted right by this virus um i've i'm under under the impression that landlords for example are uh are struggling right now because people can't pay the rent mm-hmm. um, i i think that uh, prop tech is going to need to to respond and play a role in this crisis to help people um to help people adjust. I think it's a shakeout period. I think it's an adjustment. But I also think it's going to force, force you to think about other people and other uh, and challenges that people are facing during a very challenging time. Um, I'd like to, again, like Airbnb, I think that it will, uh, we will come out of it more inspired by the, the good acts of others and the need to think about others during this time. Um, but there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, from the perspective of culture and ethics, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? One industry trend that I think would will continue, but I wish would go away. Um, wow, that's a good one. That's um, that's a TechNest original. I came up with that on my own. No that's one a good question. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a really good question. Um, you know what? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I think. People taking advantage of crisis to um, to benefit in a short-term personal financial way. Um, I think that there are people who are, um, you know, let, let's let's take hotels. Hotels love to raise to quadruple prices when there's an event in town, and, oh, yeah. and take advantage and take advantage of of situations when people are down. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to call out Adidas in a negative way. You know, Germany passed um, a real estate a law saying that um, uh, folks that are renting uh, could not be thrown out of their of their property um, for the next year and would be basically be allowed to defer rentals. Um, the law was made for small businesses to be able to survive. Soon after the law passed, Adidas announced that they were not going to pay rent in their stores for the next year simply because the law allowed it. They got called out um, so strongly. People were burning yeah. Adidas jerseys, and lawmakers <laughs> were calling them out that they reversed course within 24 hours. So the, the fact that people will take, folks that will take advantage of these circumstances who, don't, uh, who are better positioned than others, that's yeah. something I think needs to stop. Yeah, yeah. I... I couldn't align with that anymore. Uh, I'm right there. And obviously I'm working in the industry, hearing from a lot of landlords. Uh, it's, it is a very interesting time. So yeah, we're all going to have to suffer a little bit, a little bit. That's true. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then we're going to move on to number four. Uh, man, this was a tough one to try and figure out how we can, how we can shake it out. But uh, what, what, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change 
or fade away as a result of tech advances. And this is in reference to company culture. Um, I think that there's, we've seen a short-term trend away from human connection uh, as a result of tech advances, right? Um, I, I think we've gone through a, um, a period in human history where we've, sadly, we've become more personally isolated, even though we've become mm -hmm. more connected in a technological sense. Um, Airbnb was, I think, very successful in part because it fought that trend. Airbnb was all about using technology to actually bring us closer together as human beings. So I, you know, my prediction is that you're going to see a trend um, where tech is actually enabling more human connection and, and tech is le playing less of a role in isolating us all. Hmm. I love it. Love it. We're going to move on to the last three here, Rob. Uh, these are questions more about you. So listeners get to know you personally. Um, we already know what you've written, but what are you reading? Um, one book I read recently that I really love was uh, uh, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson wrote a book called Positivity. Um, fascinating. What is the impact of having a positive attitude on success in life? Um, and with, uh, without spoiling things too much, I can tell you that they, she actually has calculated what is the right ratio of positive thoughts running through your head to <laughs> negative thoughts running through your head and how that will correlate to your success in life. But interesting, um, I'm supporting authors now, so I'll, I'll let people pick up the book and read it. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm actually great? like, I want to press you. Like, That's like a teaser. I wish somebody had done a teaser like this for my book. This would All be right. great. Take it, putting it on my sales hat. Is it less than or more than 50%? I'm just kidding. Don't tell me. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> All right. Question number two here. Uh, who are you learning from? Oh, um, I, I think that you are literally surrounded by learning opportunities in life every day. I learn from my kids. My kids mm. are 13 and 19. I've learned from this interview. Um, I, I think that um, well, thank you. I, I'm, I'm very glad really, that this has been beneficial to you. Honestly, I, I think that, um, and by the way, our, our founder, Brian Chesky, is really good at this. He's got a learner's a lifelong learner's mentality. So, you know, for, for so long, we've had the perspective that you go to college for four years, and then you get out and you're ready to work for the next 50 years of your life, right? And I think what Another trend, if you want me to, to put on my, what is it, Carson did the Karnak thing, right? You want me to put on my, my prediction hat. Let's we're going to have to become lifelong learners. I you know, agree. We're going to have to alternate um, working and learning if we're going to keep up because the world is moving too quickly. I, um, I, you know, as I was sharing with you, I spoke with, you know, my, both my mentors earlier today and we briefly talked about LinkedIn profiles and I was like... <laughs> I was like, I was being a little bit like self-absorbed about mine, but I actually think I have a pretty good one. The first sentence is growth is a lifestyle. Yeah. I, I don't. True. And I, I, I think I totally align with what you're saying here. Absolutely. Like that continual learning. I explain to my wife all the time. I think my advantage over anyone isn't intelligence, isn't skills. It's just, I see the long tail. If, if I never stop, yeah. you, you just, right. you'll, I'll get you eventually. You got to be open to learning the whole way. And if, I, if you spend way. an hour with somebody and you haven't learned something, then I, I would call that a missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah. All right, last one here. What inspires you? Um, right now, 
I am inspired by companies that are responding to the virus with creativity and humanity um, that are kind of using their resources to, um, to help out in a way that isn't even directly related to their business. So I read recently that Brooks Brothers, you know, well, look, their stores are closed. People aren't buying suits right now. Mm-hmm. So instead of just shutting down all their factories and putting everybody out of work, they've got three factories operating now full-time doing nothing but making masks because they've got all the materials that they need right in the warehouse. The world desperately needs masks. They've turned to making masks. Um, another That's company, awesome. Bloom Energy. Uh, Bloom Energy makes uh, energy, system, energy generation systems. But what they noticed was that there were a lot of similarities between ventilators and their energy generation systems. And they raised their hand and said, you know what? We can actually refurbish generators that are now out of service because they need repair. And the vendors that were, regen- were doing the, the refurbishing were saying that it was taking a, would take a month to refurbish a generator. Um, they are turning around generator, uh, they're turning around ventilators in 24 hours. They, on their own, set up a group of employees. They set up an assembly line. They downloaded the, the manuals. They have literally figured out how to refurbish the, gener- uh, the, the ventilators. Stanford's come in, check to make sure that the work is being done right. Those ventilators are now back on the line saving lives. And that's from a company wow. that's not in the healthcare field. That stuff inspires me. That's amazing. I, I hadn't heard those stories. Um, I love it. Uh, I also love it. It's like we talk about in tech companies a lot about like forming a growth team. And, you know, this past week, my team, like we've totally transitioned our marketing team into like stop all things normal. Uh, and we had a cross team, you know, you know growth I don't even know what we call it, but you know, we just pulled everyone in and said, here's the project. It's what we got to work on. And we're just cranking, you know, and that's what it sounds like is also happening in like the physical world that too, with people who have the materials. It's just a weird thing. We haven't faced some of these problems we're having right now, but you're right. It's a shakeout. It's, is that yeah. the right word? A shakeout? It's a, well, it's a test of leadership. The shakedown me, is a bad thing. Yeah. yeah so the shakedowns sh- are bad. Shakeout, <laughs> shakeouts can be bad as well. But I, I think that great leaders, are yeah. able in times like in, in when you're facing something entirely unexpected, a time of crisis, you know, it's easy for a leader to say, well, we're just going to lay everybody off and slash costs and shut everything down. I think it takes a special kind of leader to say, how can I contribute right now to yeah. uh, helping solve this problem? What resources do I have at our disposal? Um, and what can I do to make a difference? I love it. Rob, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I love all the, the stories that you shared. Again, the book uh, is Intentional Integrity. It comes out in June, right? It comes, that's actually, the publisher has pushed it back because I'm doing another, I'm oh, doing okay. a, an extra chapter to actually talk about leading with integrity in a time of crisis. So we pushed it back to oh. the end of July, but you can actually go online right now and pre-order the book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores. You can also go to my website, www.intentionalintegrity.com. And on social media, how do they find you? You're on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn and Twitter. Boom. There it is. Uh, yeah. So I would encourage you guys to uh, connect with Rob. Um, and uh, yeah, appreciate uh, you coming on the show, sharing so much about your background, uh, clear expertise. I mean, you've written the book on it. 
<laughs> you know, best of luck on, on the launch and, and the, the, the book tour. Uh, it, it's got to be really exciting. I know this is your first book. So, you know, good on you. Congrats on that. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on the program. Thank you. All right. Well, let's keep in touch. Uh, and uh, I'll be watching. Uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll see that the book doing well out there on, on the charts. And hopefully, people pick it up and, and take to action what's in it. Love it. Thank you. You bet. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the TechNest podcast. Hey, don't forget, you can get on the email list. You never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H-N-E-S-T dot I-O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.